I'm Nick Terzo, and you are listening to The Radical. My guest this week has been called maybe the truest, fiercest songwriter of his generation by author Stephen King. Through the last few decades, he has established himself as one of our most respected artists who is not afraid to speak truth to power. Singer-songwriter James McMurtry joins me to discuss songwriting, his new record, The Horses and the Hounds, and the recent passing of his father, novelist Larry McMurtry. Coming up, my conversation with James McMurtry. Hi, James. It's good to see you. Good to see you. I appreciate you making time. You have a new record out, The Horses and the Hounds. I do. Is this the first new record? Is Was it six years? I don't know. Uh, something like that. We, we, we recorded it back before the pandemic, and uh, so I kind of finished it up piecemeal during the lockdown. Right. And you did that with Ross Hogarth. He was yes. produced yeah, it with in you. LA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, nice. he, he was pretty. I, I didn't, I don't have production credit on this. This is Ross's record. Oh, that's awesome. And you guys have a long standing relationship. Yes. Yeah. He was, uh, he was John Mellencamp's engineer, uh, 30 years ago when I was first signed to Columbia. And so he recorded and mixed my first two records. And then I, I hired him to mix the first or to, yeah, to mix the first record that I produced, which was St. Mary of the Woods on Sugar Hill. Uh, about uh, 2000, I think. Awesome. Now, I guess well, it was 2002, now I think about it. Yeah. And did you have other, colla- I mean, Dave Grissom played guitar? Is that how you yeah, pronounce his name? Well, yeah, he uh, Yeah, he, he was on the first two records, and then uh, I brought him in on several projects later on. Um, so, yeah. Awesome. And, you know, taking like a, like a six-year, whatever, whatever the time frame is, I mean, do you notice the difference in like the marketplace? I mean, as you have to enter each time and between, you know, like doing a podcast, having it, social media. No, nah, I don't, I don't really notice much difference. I mean, there's a lot there's zoom stuff now, which, which wasn't happening last time. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I don't pay that much attention to it. We, as I tell people, we, we used to tour to promote record sales and now we, we put out records to promote tour dates because uh, we put out a record somebody will write about us and then people will know we're coming to town and they'll buy tickets uh, right that's how it works so i don't I, I haven't paid that much attention to actual record sales right understood i yeah i just mean every time it seems if you take a even a three-year gap like all the mechanisms around it have changed uh distribution marketing yeah, they they did. There, there was a, a quantum shift in the '90s, but <laughs> I just say I, we just get in the van and go down the road. We don't worry about it too much. <laughs> well, I'd assume by now you've built a pretty loyal audience. Um, yeah, we can fill small clubs <laughs> coming soon to a little dive near you. you know, Two hundred fifty seaters, coast to coast, border to border. So. Yeah, do you have touring plans for this record? I mean, based well, on we, we we keep having to cancel because the COVID keeps coming back. Um, there's supposed to be a, a, like a West Coast and Rockies full band tour in November. We'll see, and, and I guess you know I've got a little short solo tour of uh, Arizona and New Mexico coming up in a couple of days. Uh, it'll be interesting. It'll just be me and a tour manager um, in a just a regular car. 
and staying in Airbnbs instead of hotels so we can keep a tight bubble. And are the promoters leaving most of those decisions on any of the conditions around that up to the artist or are they kind of setting their own? Some of them will say that I require, for indoor shows, I require mask and fax cards. And uh, we got we, we lost a date in Phoenix because of that because they, they wouldn't go along with our protocol. And then another venue in Phoenix popped up and said, hey, we'll do it. And that, that seems to happen now and then. I know Jason Isbell pulled off a great coup in Fort Worth because, you know, the big venue that he was in told him, no, they weren't going to they weren't going to do mask and vax. And so Billy Bob's Texas there at the stockyards said, well, we'll take the show. Mm. And uh, Governor Abbott immediately, I don't know if he got in it personally, but his policy is that you know, any club that requires vaccination is liable to lose their liquor license under the TABC that's controlled directly by the state and the Billy Bob's owner just laughed it off he said this is one show and one artist he says next week I got Kid Rock and he doesn't care and of course Kid Rock had to cancel all his Texas shows because all his band got COVID right they're all vaccinated but Dude, it's something I feel for artists during this time so yeah um so I don't you know necessarily want to break down every song with you I know that's probably uh, not how you'd want to present your songs. You'd rather sing them than care. talk about I, them. I really um, don't care. But, um, you know, I'm fascinated by canola fields. I didn't even know there were canola fields. So thank you for edifying me. I didn't know there were for, even after I'd seen them, I didn't know what they were. But, you know, we've had several tours where we had to go across Western Canada in the summertime. And those canola blossoms are just so, they're, they're just chartreuse, just, you know, very much like this. Some of those 60s Volkswagens were painted. And I didn't, we didn't know what those fields were. And we didn't think to stop and ask. And then one time we were up there in November and those same fields had these weird looking windrows raked up. You know, it looked like somebody would raked up a bunch of tumbleweeds and there were these very strange machines going along with this sort of reverse conveyor that would pick up the row and feed it into the machine and spit chaff out the back. So we, we knew it was some kind of seed because, you know, you see a machine like that and if it's spitting chaff, then there's seed collecting in there somewhere. So, but we still didn't know what it was. And then we passed a field one day that had a big sign said canola processing with a phone number. So that's that's where we got it. Yeah, and you're right about the fields because I looked them up after and it, they had actually photos from space it's to show like how vibrant they are. It is amazing. Yeah. So um, it's a great song. Um, if you don't bleed, another great song. If it don't bleed. If it don't bleed. Yeah. Near enough to Jesus, that line in there is so fantastic. Oh, glad you like it. <laughs> <laughs> it's such. A, I got to tell you, lyrically. I mean, this record is like, man, it's like a masterpiece. And I don't give out compliments on records. It's not what I do here. But I mean, lyrically, man, you are at the top of your game. Yeah, I don't know. These songs are a pain in the ass to sing because there's so many words in them. It's like, you know, they're, they're dense. They ride low in the water, you know. But, they are very dense, for sure. Yeah. So, um, it's often like you said this was done before COVID, which is interesting. And with, COVID, you know, Afghanistan this week, and then you have like a song Operation Nevermind, which I thought yeah. summarized this week or the last couple of weeks perfectly. Well, the last 20 years. Yeah, I mean, basically, 20 years. What I was complaining about was the, the lack of coverage of these military actions, you know, because when I was a kid, it was Vietnam era, 
and we had actual war footage on the six o'clock news and so it wasn't sugar-coated you know and now we don't have that we haven't had that since Grenada you know when Reagan went into Grenada there were a couple of guys went ashore with US troops and they immediately got detained and kept out of the action uh, there were some reporters that met, that snuck in with like uh, civilians uh, I know Scott Simon of NPR was on the island, but, uh, but you know, the, the run-up to that was the, the action in Beirut where, you know, Reagan sent those Marines in there and a bunch of them got killed and it looked bad. Um, and that at that time, you know, cameramen and reporters were just wandering up to random Marines and asking them questions off the cuff, and that was allowed at that time. And the Marines were looking in the camera and saying, uh, why'd you send us for this mission? You got us pinned down, surrounded, you know, trying to defend an airfield on low ground, surrounded by hostile people on high ground, and we can't go out there and get them. So what are we doing here? And, you know, then tragically, you know, a bunch of them died. It was a matter of weeks before they invaded Grenada. So it looked like such a, a wag the dog kind of thing. Like, like, and denying the press access to the action did not upset anybody in middle America at that time. I would have thought there would have been some backlash, but there weren't because I guess people were, they were tired of Vietnam guilt. They wanted some good news and they got it. Well, you know, the next major action we took, uh, I guess was Desert Storm. We, we didn't have any frontline coverage. We had General Schwarzkopf spoon feeding us the war with the clips that he wanted to show. And then now we have we have embeds out with the troops, but and I hear they're they're doing good journalism, but you really got to dig for it now. It's not just right there on the front page above the fold. It's it's not on the it's not on the news because we we don't really have news anymore. We we used to have four channels. We had Walter Cronkite and a couple other guys trying to be Walter Cronkite. Everybody listened to it. Now you you can go to your own channel and hear your own opinions spat back at you, and that's pretty much all anybody does we don't we don't know what's going on with, with the military and we're not asking i mean doesn't something like this that goes on for two decades just it's just it's attrition at this point right because they can just wear you down like no one pays attention after well, yeah, no one osama bin laden was killed they make it into video games mm. so we can pretend like we're the soldier and, and they do very good uh, you know they do shows like seal team very well scripted very well acted but uh, but we're not getting a real picture. We we can't make decisions based on a TV show, right? No, it's absolutely right. So it, the timeliness, as I said, over the last two weeks of trying to close a war down, it's just an interesting song well, for now. Yeah, now you know they want Biden to resign over it, but I don't remember anybody saying Gerald Ford had to resign over the fall of Saigon. You know, that's something that happens, and it's horrible. Right. Now, no one leaves clean. I mean, it seldom happens in a war situation. Mm. On the lighter side, you have Fort Walton wake-up call, which I thought was interesting about your glasses and losing your glasses. And there's a gray line in there, though, on how they're going to build a wall. And how are they going to build a wall without any Mexicans anyway? Um, it's just right to the point. Well. Yeah, that was the, I didn't get into politics too much on this record. I just got in a little nip here and there. But actually, the glasses line was supposed to just be a placeholder 
to fill that space until I could come up with a real chorus, and then I never did come up with a real chorus. We just left it in there. So <laughs> now everybody wants to know what it means. <laughs> it means it's the right number of syllables. <laughs> it's awesome. It's very good. So when you write and stuff, I mean, are you primarily, I mean, look, everything's very visual to me. Uh, you know, I'm a melody guy for the most part. So, but with your music, I'm much more a lyrical guy for sure. Uh, is that autobiographical? Is that just characters in most cases? That's fiction. Uh, and, you know, there, there are bits of autobiography in it, but even if I'm writing from a straight experience, I'm going to fictionalize it to make it a better story. And on many of these, there's themes built around nature and kind of it seems like the destruction or the change or the not caring for seems to be like an underlying theme. Really? I didn't notice that. Uh, yeah, from your other know. records, too, I noticed it, so. Well, I mean, we ride around looking out the window a lot, so we notice nature. And, and the fires are insane this year, but I remember 10 or 15 years ago, it seemed like every time we went west in July, something was on fire. And you know, I remember being in a, in a fairly small commuter plane trying to get back from Bozeman, Montana, and I had one of these Expedia tickets that took you to about five different stops. So, you know, we were on this puddle jumper going to Boise, and there was a fire in the Sawtooth Mountains, and you could see flames shooting off the top of that mountain 100 feet in the air. You know, and then it just got, every year it seemed to get worse. We'd, we'd go to Montana, and we'd be under a cloud of smoke. We'd drive forever and ever, get out from under the Montana smoke, cross into Oregon just in time to get in the California smoke that was drifting up that way. And, and now, I mean, even even on, on this record, I had to re-sing the vocals. I went out to California in uh, October to do final vocals, and I didn't realize that that haze hanging over Van Nuys was not just the normal valley haze. It was wood smoke from the Getty Fire and a couple of others that were going full bore right then. And I walked around in it outside and just shredded my voice. I think we used one vocal off of that. I think Vaquero we might have gotten that week. But I had to come back in December and re-sing everything after that because there's just no no low end in my voice. Yeah, I think we're convinced we're going to do a mass extinction event here as humans soon. Coming yeah, to well, a... I think, didn't Jacques Cousteau say we had about 50 years of human life left on this planet? The planet will go on, just not us. Yeah, we won't. The planet needs to regenerate itself for sure. With your writing, I mean, do you have rituals? Do you have kind of practices? Or does it come to you when it does? And I'm in a writing mood this week. And uh... No, I mostly write when it's time to make a record. I'll make a record when the tour draw falls off. And usually I get myself in a bind where I've got studio time booked and I have to kind of do my homework on the school bus, as it were and get the damn things done. And that's that's what happened this time. You know, Ross Hogarth called up and said, you know, I can get in Groove Masters uh, in June, and so I'm gonna book the time and you're gonna finish the songs. I said, okay. <laughs> so that's your uh, your carrot, so to speak. Yeah. yeah, that's how I do it. Or the whip, one or the other. Which, yeah. So how do you, I mean, so many like iconic people really hold you up as kind of like, you know, one of our greatest songwriters here in the, you know, in in the United States, 
how do you accept that deal with that pay attention to that don't pay attention to that. i'm not really aware of it um i'm sort of in the eye of the storm which is where you have to be to do your work you have to just just be in your world and this year has been a challenging year i mean COVID aside um you know condolences to you on losing your father earlier in the year thanks I know it's probably been very tough on you. That's weird. Yeah, it's a uh, dads are important. So yeah, and I mean, are you still involved like now with his affairs? Oh yeah, I'm I'm executor of the estate. I'm going to be involved with it for quite some time. Yeah. yeah. Does the bookstore still exist up in Fort Worth? Is it, that still it's operating? In, it's in Archer City. Uh, Archer City. Yeah, his hometown where, where the last picture show was shot. Um, yeah, it's still going. Crystal Collins still runs that. Uh, It'll be her store uh, if she wants to keep doing it. <laughs> but I wouldn't advise that in, in the modern world. <laughs> right. And I mean, has that added like an extra complexity to your year as you're trying to release a record? Well, that's just it's, it's something else. It's something, yeah, of course. It's like having two full-time jobs. Uh, it's just trying to get everything appraised and figured out. It takes a while. <laughs> So going back like many years ago, I mean, was your label experience good, bad, indifferent when you had your major label deals? Um, I I got lucky. I got three whole records out of Columbia. Um, I got three more out of Sugar Hill. Uh, I haven't really had a bad experience, I would say. The Columbia originally, though, that was kind of Mellencamp kind of brought you into that equation? Yeah, he well, he signed me to his production company, which, and then he reciprocally signed it over to to Columbia, I guess. I mean, at that time, he was managed by uh, Champion Entertainment, which was owned by Tommy Mottola, who, who was also, was he, I guess he was president of Columbia at the time. No, Einer was running Columbia. So. Yeah, he was kind of the CEO of well, Sony. Was, yeah, he was. There was. It was. It was right when CBS became Sony. Yep. Right before the the buyout, and Walter Yitnikoff was still involved, and Matola was still there, and and conflict of interest was just normal. But n nothing really bad happened to me because I didn't make any money that anybody could run off with. You know. It makes sense. It's more of the. It's like the Nashville model. <laughs> yeah. So this record, um, I mean, what do you do kind of to support it in your own way? I mean, do you, I mean, you make videos. Do you not make videos anymore? Nobody's come to me with the offer of a video budget at this point. I mean, I'd do it, if, but I don't know what for. I, I did videos for the last record for the complicated game. I did a couple of videos for that. I don't know if it helped. You know, they, they just put it out on YouTube. They're kind of fun. And do you, I mean, are all your, is your whole catalogs on streaming now? I don't know. Or did you ever hold I, any I back? Assume, yeah, I assume it is now. Yeah, because I get, uh, yeah, because there's services that document that. Yeah, yeah, that, I, I think it's all streamed. Uh, I mean, it's, and of course, you know, some of the records are out of print now. That, that Sugar Hill stuff, I don't know what Sugar Hill got folded into after Welk Group, if it still exists or not. Uh, hmm. And then the complicated game, the last record's already out of print because that guy decided not to be a record label anymore. Right. So I just, yeah, I wonder if these live on streaming then. I'd have to do some more well, research on Well, some of them do because I, I do see some royalties uh, from streaming services, yeah. It seems like your early 2000 ones do. Yeah. Well, everything, yeah, the, the stuff I did on Compadre and Lightning Rod, you, you can find that. 
So on your touring plans, I mean, do you just headline your own thing or do you do some opening slots? Uh, depends on what's offered. Uh, I mean, an opening slot is hard to hard to do economically for me because I got to pay a band and I got lodging and gas and everything. But I did, I've done some tours with with Jason Isbell, and he gave me enough money to get by for those, and that's a great tour to open for because they, they treat you real good. They got a great crew. That's one of the great humans, Jason Isbell. Yeah. So if you're going to tour, that's for the win. Yeah, for sure. Do you do stuff locally here in Austin? I mean, mine is COVID. Um, uh, well, I, I used to do a, a re- residency at the Continental Club on Wednesdays and a solo acoustic thing upstairs at the gallery on Tuesdays. But I'm not doing that now because I'm not doing indoor that, you know, unless there's, unless it's mask and vax. I don't know. And I mean, in the Austin facilities, aren't upholding that just because of the Texas Michigan no, or the threats? They can't because because Abbott, you know, yeah, he, Abbott has to be the meanest re- Republican in the room. Otherwise, he'll get primaried out. It's it's. I mean, I just moved back here in April, so what I'm witnessing is making me want to hightail it in well, another direction. Uh, you know, Texas and Florida. It looks to me like the Republicans just don't want the pandemic to go away because if it does, then Biden might get credit for it and they can't have that. Right. Right. Well, I just find what's interesting, especially around these small businesses, whether restaurants or bars, is this kind of, you know, pro-business party um, threatening them with liquor license stuff and all that. It's like, wait a minute. One mandate doesn't equal the other mandate. What are you talking about? Yeah, it's just tribal. Um, I mean, basically, yeah, they, the way they spin it, like if the federal government tells Texas what to do, it's government overreach. But if Abbott tells a private business what to do, it's patriotism. Right. Remember that. Yeah, I'm fa- I'm fascinated by the disconnect. Yeah. So it's unbelievable. Well, the new record's Horses and the Hounds. Um, it's out now. It is out. And it is Excellent. I mean, these songs are really brilliant. Your lyrics are incredible. Thank you. Congratulations to you on another record. So I look forward to seeing you live. Appreciate it. Thanks, James. Thanks, Nick. Thank you for listening. This show originates from the podcast capital, Austin, Texas. My producer is Sean O'Neill. Visit theradicalpot.com for updates and even some merchandise. Also, please subscribe at Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And I also ask that you please share episodes with your friends so we can continue to grow our community. See you all again next Friday.